Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. What a week, huh? A lot has happened in the last couple of days. No children's church this morning. Uh, no communion this morning either. It is the third Sunday of the month, which is when we typically observe communion, but for obvious reasons, we are choosing to postpone that. Um, We have been seeking to keep you all updated through congregational emails. We sent one out on Thursday and one on Saturday as well, so hopefully you have been getting those. Um, If you haven't, then please let us know because we wanna make sure that you're in the loop and receiving those updates. Of course, the situation continues to change rapidly. I just learned there's been four new cases in the state of Indiana just since yesterday. Um, So just be assured that your elders here are paying careful and prayerful attention to the situation as it unfolds, and we will keep you updated about future plans, which are uncertain at this time, uh, including the date of our next communion service, which we don't know but uh, we hope to be able to celebrate communion together as quickly as possible. So um, we'll keep you updated, but watch your email as this situation unfolds. By the way, we are aware that the screen here to my left is crooked. Uh, That is not getting past us. The problem is the projector itself. Wow, that's really bright when you look up there. The projector is crooked. (laughs) Uh, And so we need to get up there and fix that, but we don't have the equipment to get up that high in the air. And so we're working on that and hope to have that rectified uh, as soon as possible. So, let's look to God's Word. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 4. We are continuing through this sermon series that we're calling Route 66. We are going through the Bible, one sermon per Bible book, going through the entire Bible starting in Genesis. We are now in the New Testament letters of Paul and have reached this book of Colossians. A couple Sundays ago, we celebrated Mission Sunday here, and during that time, we talked about foreign missions. Last Sunday, we had Ted Powers here, a representative of our denomination who talked to us about church planning, or we might call uh, domestic missions. Today, we're going to narrow the scope a little further and talk about what I'm going to call personal missions. And by that, I mean personal evangelism. Now, when we talk about personal evangelism, many of us get a little sweaty in the palms, a little nervous, a little uncomfortable when we are presented with this idea of talking to others about Jesus, we get a little concerned, and maybe for some good reasons. Um, Some of us, we don't like to get into arguments with people. Maybe we're a little bit concerned that we're gonna alienate somebody if we start talking about religious things. Some of us are concerned that we're not going to know how to answer questions that might come our way. We don't want to feel dumb or ignorant of the Bible. Um, Others others of us might just um, wonder whether it's really necessary. Uh, After all, people seem to be living their lives quite well and quite happily on their own. And after all, who am I to tell somebody else what he or she is supposed to believe? And so we pull back from personal evangelism. But... I would say to you today that growing as a Christian is not just learning to walk with Christ, but also knowing how to talk about Christ. And that's what we get in this passage here in Colossians chapter 4, 
verses 2 through 6. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, there should be a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs in front of you. And the passage is on page 573 in the paperback Bibles. But just a little background information about the book of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. Again, I've told you we're in the letters of Paul and have been there for a few weeks and will be there for a few more weeks. About 62 AD is when this book to the church in Colossae was written. Uh, Not too many different themes. The supremacy of Christ is very obvious, particularly when you get into chapter 1. But as the book goes on, we get much instruction about how to live for Christ. As you know, Paul is very doctrinal. He's very theological. And we've seen that as we have looked at the doctrines of justification and predestination even in the last few Sundays. But Paul can also get in his letters very down-to-earth, very practical with very specific and clear application. And that's what we find here this morning in these few verses in chapter 4. So, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And given the situation that we find ourselves in, uh, under this national emergency with the outbreak of this coronavirus, uh, we're going to seek to read this text with new eyes and think about how we can apply it to our current circumstances, which are indeed unique and unprecedented. So let's take a look and see what the Lord has to say to us in this time of our lives. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. God in heaven, we call on you, Holy Spirit, to come and open our eyes, soften our hearts, prepare us to respond in faith and obedience to your holy word now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So just two points here this morning from this text in Colossians 4. And the first one is a point that we need to consider before we begin to embark on this task of personal evangelism, sharing our faith, telling people about Jesus. Um, And and the statement is very simply this. We must first speak to God about people. In other words, evangelism starts with prayer. And when we think of the Apostle Paul, the writer of all of these letters in the New Testament, often we think of Paul as if, evangelism must have come to him very naturally and that he must have spoken very boldly to everybody he knew about it and it was no problem for him. Except, I want to bring a couple of passages to your recollection. 2 Corinthians 11.6, Paul says he was unskilled in speaking. 1 Corinthians 2.3, Paul says he arrived in Corinth in fear and trembling. So Paul perhaps didn't fall into personal evangelism quite as easily as we think he did. He had his own insecurities and his own anxieties, 
And here's one thing we learn is that a sense of weakness will always drive you to prayer. And I think that's why Paul emphasizes prayer so much. And that's how this passage starts in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Before you start speaking to people about God, you have got to start speaking to God about people. Before you evangelize, go to the Lord in prayer and make that a priority before you seek to spread the gospel. So we have a couple of things to consider in these few verses. One, how to pray. How to pray. Very clear directions here. First of all, we see that we should pray steadfastly. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That means persistently. That means regularly. That means habitually. That means when you wake up. That means when you go to bed. That means when you eat a meal. That means before you read the Bible. That means when we open our service. That means before we take an offering. That means when we close the service and close the sermon. Regularly, persistently, habitually, we should be in prayer. Now, notice this doesn't say anything about how long our prayer should be. In fact, I don't think we get that in the scriptures. Any prescription for how long we should pray. You've got to pray 15, 30, 45 minutes. No, we don't get that. But we do get this clear direction of the frequency of our prayers. Regularly and ongoing, continue steadfastly in prayer. The second thing we learn is this. We should pray watchfully. Verse 2, again, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. That is, pray in an alert way. Pray with your eyes and ears out for what's going on in the world around you. Be responsive to what is happening. Be careful about falling into certain routine rote prayers that ignore the situation that God has placed you in. When I grew up, my mom and dad, God bless them, they led us in prayer um, before meals, and I'm grateful for that, but the prayer that we prayed was always this, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, let these gifts to us be blessed, amen. And we prayed it that way every single night before every single meal. No matter what was happening in our family, no matter what was happening personally, no matter what was happening in the world, that was the prayer we prayed. That's getting a little too locked down into routine. That's not being watchful. And of course, in the situation we find ourselves in now, there are opportunities for us to adjust our prayers accordingly, right? National emergency, coronavirus. How does that change our prayers? Well, David Lowry just led us in prayer, and I just want to repeat some of the points that he made. Here are some things that you can pray for in order to follow this verse of praying watchfully. We can pray for this virus to be contained. We can pray for wisdom for our governmental leaders at the local, state, and national basis. We can pray for medical professionals for their wisdom as they look for vaccines. We can pray for the protection for medical workers, even those here in our congregation. I mean, it's situations like this that make us appreciate all the more those who take the risk of entering into the lives of those who are sick. We need to pray for the protection of those among us who are engaging in that kind of work. We can pray for Christians to not live in a state of panic and fear. We are ones who know who is in charge. We know who is sovereign. He is trustworthy. This is surprising to us. It's not surprising 
to God. And we can pray that people all throughout our community and the world are now open to the gospel, that they're thinking now about eternal things in maybe a way that they weren't just this past Tuesday. (laughs) So be watchful in prayer. Maybe you're overcome with some anxiety yourself. Maybe you're overcome with fear. Um, How do you deal with that? Well, you put some hand sanitizer on and there you are scrubbing. Your hands are already folded. (laughs) You can pray right there. Cast your anxieties on him while you sanitize your hands. Pray watchfully. But lastly, pray thankfully. And we see that also here at the end of verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Before asking for what you don't have, give thanks for what you do have. We have a lot of blessings to be thankful for here, don't we? We're still able to gather for worship. Um, As far as I know, no one is infected with the coronavirus. Of course, we don't really know, but we don't think so. We don't have any reported cases. We can be thankful for that. We can be thankful that we live in an age where medical advantages are available to us in an unprecedented way to treat situations like the one that we're dealing with. Um, There is a lot to be thankful for. And Paul commands us here to be thankful always in prayer. So that's how to pray. There's a lot more to be said, but just based on this text, those three things. But let's consider further what to pray for. What to pray for. Um, One thing you'll notice here in this text is that Paul is in a very specific location. At the end of verse 3, you'll notice that he is in prison for preaching the gospel. He's been incarcerated. He's in prison. And we might think, what kinds of prayers would we most likely be offering up to God if we were in prison? And some of us, as we're thinking about this coronavirus situation, we might be thinking of certain prayers that we might be offering, like, God, please make this go away. Uh, Please bring back the NBA. (laughs) You know, please get things back to normal. You know, those are the kinds of prayers that we're prone to offer when our comfort and our routine is taken from us. Well, again, here's Paul. Paul's in prison. Is Paul praying that he be released from prison? He's not. Instead of praying that the doors of the prison would be opened, Paul is praying that the doors of hearts would be opened. That's where his heart is focused. Do you see that in verse 3? At the same time, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. This is Paul's heartbeat. Can you imagine that? Not apparently concerned about release from prison, but concerned about how he might share the gospel in prison with other inmates so that he can see them receive the word and hear about the mystery of Christ. What Paul wants to do is he wants to make it clear in verse which is how I ought to speak. He wants to explain the gospel with clarity. And the way he refers to the gospel here in verse 3 is the mystery of Christ. What does that phrase mean? The mystery of Christ. Well, he might have said something like this. If the doors were opened in response to his prayer, he might have said, look, God exists, and he created this world upright and good. And yet his first creatures, Adam and Eve, rebelled against him, as we heard from Genesis 3 just a few moments ago. 
They rebelled against him, and through that act, sin and evil and sadness and death was brought in to the world, but God came and he made a promise to Eve, and he said, a descendant is going to come from you, Eve, and that descendant is gonna crush the head of the serpent. And then throughout all of the Old Testament, this mystery hangs over the whole book. Who is this person? Who is this descendant? What's gonna be his name? What's he gonna be like? When's he gonna come? Everybody's anticipating and wondering, and then finally, into the world comes Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who lives in perfect submission to the Father, who dies on a cross to pay the penalty for sins, who raises up from the grave in triumph and victory over death. That's probably what Paul said. That's how he wanted to make it clear. That's what he wanted the opportunity to talk about. And in this day and age, right now, in the situation we find ourselves, that might be the best news that anybody could ever hear, that death does not have the last word, that there is someone who has overcome death, that there is hope beyond the grave, as Hebrews 2 tells us here. He himself, Jesus, likewise, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Paul wanted that opportunity to talk about this, to make this clear, and that's what his heart is fixed on in prison. And so for us, the situation can be similar. For whom might God open a door for you to talk about this Jesus? I would encourage you to think of one person. Probably one person has already come to mind. Who is the person that God is bringing to your mind right now? A person who needs to hear about the gospel. Keep praying for that person. Keep talking to God about him or her before you talk to him or her about God. And get ready for how God might answer this prayer. I'm just preparing you, get ready. I told you the story of how um, just a few weeks ago, Mary and I were flying back from Tokyo from our Malaysia trip. Remember, I told you about this conversation that we got into uh, with these two young men from Montreal about the gospel. And with one man in particular, the conversation lasted seven hours, talking about the Bible, the gospel, the nature of God, salvation, etc. What I didn't tell you then, because I didn't know, uh, Mary told me, later is that when Mary was sitting there in the seat and these two guys sat down next to her, Mary prayed and said, Lord, if you want me to say something, you're going to have to open the door. <laughs> and so about an hour later, she gets out her Bible and she's reading her Bible and the guy leans over and says, what are you reading? <laughs> That's an open door, friends. That's a classic, easily recognizable open door. Mary and I didn't have to be um, irritating, persistent people invading the privacy of those sitting in the plane seats next to me. That's not what we're advising. There was a prayer talking to God about the people who sat next to us in the plane. And then when God opened the door, then we were able to talk to those people about God. And so that's the second thing we need to consider, talking to people about God. Two things here in these remaining verses. 
First of all, we should watch how we walk. That's not it, is it? There we go. Watch how you walk. The first thing, another preliminary step. So that's kind of one of the points that I hope you're getting here. There are certain things to do before we start talking to people about the gospel. Watch how you walk. Look at verse 5. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders making the best use of the time. That word walk, um, conduct yourselves wisely, making the best use of the time. Um, I guess this doesn't say walk, but uh, conduct yourselves wisely in the way you walk, in the way you walk with Christ, in the way you live, in, in the, the way you conduct yourselves, the way you talk, the way you relate to people. Do this with wisdom. And this is in view particularly of outsiders, Paul says here in in verse 5. Outsiders just mean people who are not part of the church, people who are not Christians. Notice the assumption here, which is that Christians will have relationships with outsiders, that they'll be working alongside them, befriending them, relationships with outsiders. That's the assumption here, that we're not just locked away, only hanging out with Christian friends but there are these relationships with outsiders. And so Paul is giving this command. Conduct yourselves wisely toward them. The principle here is this. People will not care what you say if they don't have any respect for how you live. And you have to be aware of the potential inconsistencies that might exist between what you tell people and the way that you're living. And so here we are, again, in this very unique and unprecedented situation right now, we should be asking this question. How do we live in wisdom in a coronavirus world toward outsiders? As believers, we gotta think about this. We gotta talk about this. I hope your life groups will be dealing with this tonight and this week. Some ideas. How do we live in wisdom toward outsiders? I think we need to be prepared to comply with governmental authorities. Scriptures are very clear on that. We are to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. We can do our part as we hear over and over again. Yeah, washing your hands regularly, using disinfectant, doing your part, not just dismissing it. Um, I haven't asked Brenda if I could share this, but Brenda shared the uh, possibility or the idea of patronizing local businesses who are certainly going to be affected by this situation economically. That's one way we can help the businesses in the community in which we live. I've heard stories of people going into stores, parents buying up all the diapers on the shelves and leaving none for anybody else. One way we can live wisely toward outsiders is we buy what we need and we leave some for others. We're not the only ones who have children in our neighborhoods. Perhaps we think maybe a little less about hiding away to protect ourselves and a little more about getting out and connecting with people, seeing how they're doing, particularly among the elderly and the sick that we know are nearby. How can we live wisely toward outsiders in this age in which we live? You know, the early Christians had this reputation for being people who during the plagues, when disease was everywhere, they were putting aside their own safety and reaching out to the sick. And so here's a a bishop named Dionysus 
um, who wrote this about fellow Christians. This is like the third century. And he says this, very many Christians visited the sick without thought of their own peril and ministered to them assiduously and treated them for their healing in Christ. They died from time to time, most joyfully, drawing upon themselves their neighbors' diseases and willingly taking over to their own persons the burden of the suffering of those around them. Are we prepared? new life, to live this way, depending on what might happen in the future. This is what Paul has in mind, conducting ourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. It's a unique time. How do we make the best use of this time? Talk about that in your life groups. Let's think about that going forward in the coming weeks and months. So watch how you walk. But then the second part is this, be ready to talk. Okay, so you're talking to people about God. Before you start talking, uh, talking to God about people, before you start talking to people about God, watch how you walk, examine your own behavior, and then now you're finally in a place where you can be ready to talk, and that's what Paul says here in verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, uh, so that you, excuse me, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Verse six: Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Let your speech be kind. Let your speech be responsive. Let your speech be patient. Let your speech be absent of terseness and curtness and coldness. Speak in a way that is lively, that is colorful, that is interesting, particularly around this whole virus situation. Be informed. Let your speech be informed. Don't spread rumors. Don't make things up. Don't say things unless you've verified them. Let your speech be seasoned with salt as you talk with others so that, at the end of verse 6, you may know how you ought to answer each person. And now we're getting to the personal evangelism part of this passage. Now you can talk to people about the gospel because they want to know what makes you tick. And they're asking questions about what you believe. They want to know why we decided to worship on Sunday morning. They want to know what our hope is. They want to know why we're not overcome with fear and anxiety. They want to know about this Savior that says there is eternal life for those who trust in him. And they're asking about that. Are you ready to answer? Are you ready? You need to be ready. So notice Paul is not talking about just kind of going down the street, knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. He has something in mind that's a little more reactive. But I think what Paul would say is that you need to keep your eyes open for those opportunities and watch for them and watch how God brings them to your attention. Uh, We just acquired a new car here just a little while ago, a Kia Sportage. And uh, I'm not really a car guy. I don't pay a lot of attention to cars. I'm not one of these people who can tell one car from another on the road. I couldn't have told you a Kia Sportage from 10 feet away six months ago. But as soon as I started thinking that maybe we need a Kia Sportage and I'm driving around out in the community, that's all I see is Kia Sportages everywhere. 
I can see the little logo now from like 200 feet away as they're coming down the road because I'm watching for this particular kind of car. I'm open to the opportunities as they arise. And that's the same attitude we ought to have toward evangelism. Your eyes ought to be open. You ought to be ready for how God responds to this prayer to open a door so that you can speak into it with the hope of the gospel. Now again, you might say, well, you know, I, I don't know, I don't want to do that. I don't know how to answer questions. Well, yeah, you know, you might have to put a little work into preparing. Uh, you ought to be reading your Bible. It's the best way to prepare. Know the Bible. Uh, you might have to read a book. Hey, we're all going to be quarantined and indoors, right, for a long time. You have lots of opportunity to read. You can read a book like Tim Keller's Reason for God or Greg Kogel's Story of Reality. Prepare yourself, friends. Get to know the questions that people are asking so that you can respond in an informed and gracious way. And you know what? It might not really be as intimidating as you think. It might not be as hard as you think. There's a guy named Thomas Huxley. He lived in the 19th century, very famous agnostic, um, known as Darwin's bulldog for defending the theory of evolution. And there's a story told of Thomas Huxley where a Christian came to him and said, can you please, or excuse me, where Huxley went to a Christian and said, can you please tell me why you're a Christian? And the Christian said, look, I'm not going to get into a discussion with you, Thomas Huxley. You're way too clever for me. You're going to demolish my argument. I'm not interested. And Thomas Huxley said, no, honestly, that's really not what I'm after here. I, I just want to know, why are you a Christian? And so this Christian began to respond and just began to say what he knew, that I'm a sinner. God created me, but he loved me from before the foundation of the world, and he sent his son to die for me. And through his death, my sins have been forgiven. My guilt has been removed and my shame has been taken away. And I know that God loves me and that I belong to him. And I know that although one day I'm gonna die on this earth, that the day is gonna come when Jesus is gonna come back and I'm gonna rise up out of the grave and I'm gonna live forever. That's how much God loves me. And Thomas Huxley responded and said, you know what, I would give my right hand if I could believe that. This Hardened agnostic revealed that in his heart that's what he wanted. He wanted that gospel. And it could be that people in our society, in our community today, are more eager to hear that gospel than ever before because of the coronavirus. Who knows what the Lord could be doing? Who knows how he might be using this for the growth of his church and the expansion of his kingdom? He is in charge Nothing is going to stop him from finishing his purposes. The gates of hell will not prevail against his redemptive task of saving all those he intends to save. But isn't it a good thing that he's chosen to use us? That we get to partake in this. We get to participate in this redemptive project by living among outsiders, by being careful about how we live, and by speaking the gospel into their lives. So, Pray to God about people, friends. Make that a priority. Who is it that the Lord has put on your heart? What person did the Lord give you a few moments ago? Make it a priority. Ask God, please open a door for me to speak the gospel to this person. 
It's a simple prayer. Lord, open a door. And then, when he does, you can tell that person about the gospel. And you know what? If all of us did that and made that a commitment, I bet you the gospel would spread like a virus. (laughs) Isn't that what we hope to happen? And isn't that what God can do as we proclaim a living, resurrected Savior who gives the hope of eternal life in such a time as this? Let's pray. Our Lord, you indeed are sovereign and worthy of our trust. Oh God, we pray, open our mouths to speak the good news. Father, help us, Lord, to be ready to respond. Give us open eyes to notice how you're answering prayers. Give us boldness, Lord. Free us from our fear of the opinions of others. And through our witness, Lord, save people. Bring them to faith through our evangelism. God, would you please do that? And we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.